Do you like the work we're doing here at It's All Journalism? For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us continue the conversation about good journalism. Show your support by donating to our Patreon campaign. Go to itsalljournalism.com and follow the link at the top of the page to donate. You don't have to be knowledgeable in economics, for example, to understand uh, the deeper ideas of economics. You don't have to be a scientist in genomics to understand how the genome works. You only have to uh, have the curiosity and the openness to absorb ideas, not be, not be too frightened by, by big names or big ideas. Welcome to It's All Journalism. My name is Michael O'Connell, here with another podcast about digital media. This is going to be a special episode. Um, this sort of came out of the interviews that I was doing around the book I'm writing about podcasting. I was at Podcast Movement, and I met a few gentlemen from Israel who were involved in the Curious Mind podcast. On Skype with me today is Ron Levy, host and producer of Curious, the Curious Mind podcast. Welcome, Ron. How are you? Hi, Michael. Thank you for having me. So, first of all, what's what's the state of podcasting like in Israel? Well, podcasting is is small in Israel. Israel is a small country, almost 8 million people at most. So, there are, I would guess, about 100 active podcasts in Israel. The podcasting scene is almost all indie, that is, all amateurish. Actually, my Hebrew podcast, which I started in 2007, called Making History, is the only professionally produced podcast in Israel, in the sense that me and my team are professional podcasters working as our day job at podcasting. All the rest are amateurs at the, at the moment. So the, the other podcast done in Hebrew, it's, it's about history? Is that what it is? Or is it something uh, it else? It is history, science, and technology. Okay. Uh, every episode deals with uh, some other topic from the history of science and technology, mostly. Although I do dabble in arts and economics, uh, <laughs> my range of topics is, is extremely wide. I think that the listeners who will visit the, the website of Curious Minds will probably be amazed, I think, by how we can tackle... I mean, one episode of the history of uh, LSD and the other, the history of the Stuxnet malware, uh, both uh, very different topics. Yeah, uh, when you say history or science, those those are pretty wide open to talk about a lot of different things from episode to episode. Exactly. So tell, <laughs> exactly. tell, me, tell me about your, your other podcast, Curious Minds, which I think is what we're mostly going to be talking about today. What What is that about? What is What's a typical episode like? Well, a typical episode mostly tackles a single narrow topic from the history of science and technology. I tend to choose very, very, very specific topics because I like to drill, you know, deep into topics. For example, I did an episode, or actually a series on, of episodes on genomics. And I, you know, genomics is a huge topic. You can spend... You know, many, many episodes uh, talking about genomics. I specifically selected one technique in genomics called uh, the molecular clock and did a series of two episodes dedicated to this technique alone, trying to get in-depth into the, the subjects to kind of give the listeners a real understanding of what's the science and the ideas behind those topics. And I do that 
every topic I tackle, if, if I'm uh, having an episode on the history of marine, uh, marine technology or what else did I do, astronomy, many, many subjects mostly are relatively narrow. I think that's what maybe um, makes my podcast rather unique, I think, in the scene of, of you know, science and technology podcasts who tend to be maybe a bit wider in their approach to subjects. So who do you see as your audience for this? The title, I guess, uh, says it all. I mean, Curious Minds, as the name suggests, is targeted to those people who are, you know, who are interested in the deeper questions of our, our technology, of our, of our science, trying to understand things. I mean, my starting point, my starting, I, um, I don't know how to, to phrase it, but... The basic idea that I go by is that you don't have to be knowledgeable in economics, for example, to understand the deeper ideas of economics. You don't have to be a scientist in genomics to understand how the genome works. You only have to have the curiosity and the openness to absorb ideas, not be, not be too frightened by, by big names or big ideas. And if someone explains things in clear terms with great examples, which I try to do, then you can really understand topics which are, you know, traditionally are, are considered to be very hard to grasp. I mean, I did in my Hebrew podcast episodes on quantum mechanics and philosophy of mathematics, topics which I think mainstream media will rarely try to, to tackle because it seems too frightening for the general audience. I mean, uh, quantum mechanics, it's the name itself. Some people just, you know, they, they get frightened from the name. I don't have that, that fear and I try to open the minds of people to, to really understand the hard ideas, the tough ideas behind it. It's just a matter of explaining things the right way. That's my point of view. So... You obviously have a have a curious mind, I assume. Now, you, you, we were talking before that uh, you had a background in uh, in writing in, in uh, science and technology. So, how did you develop that curious mind, and and how did you sort of turn that into a writing career and podcast? Probably, I was born with a natural desire to read everything I could handle. I think that by the age of 10, I probably read an entire encyclopedia that I had in my house. It was back when the days when we had encyclopedias, you know, Wikipedia wasn't there yet. I, after my military service in Israel, I studied for, to be an electronics engineer, which is actually, um, it's a kind of a, of a career path that lets you learn a diverse set of topics since being an engineer in the fields of field of electronics actually means that you have to study some chemistry, math, physics, some biology as well. So you study a wide range of topics. You're not afraid of, of tackling uh, great, a great many topics. I mean, I've been writing for, as they say, to the drawer, yes, just for myself, ever since I was probably a teenager, I think that uh, when I was 24 or 25, I decided to try and write a whole book for the first time uh, about, uh, it was the history of perpetual motion machines. It's, it's a neat idea from the Middle Ages 
about um, machines that require no energy to operate. It, it's a kind of a, of a, of a holy grail of, of science. And it's a, it's a hard topic to, to, to write about since uh, you have to understand subjects in, in, in thermodynamics and advanced physics. But as I said, I, I have no, uh, I'm not afraid of tackling those ideas. I really have the confidence that I know how to, to teach those ideas. Although I must admit that I probably was too ambitious for my first book. <laughs> it, was, it didn't sell that, much, that well. <laughs> well uh, but that because it didn't sell that well, uh, and I still had the desire in me to teach people, <laughs> when I finally got to hear about podcasts in 2006, it was, it was very natural for me to start a podcast about those topics hoping that it will fare better than uh, writing books. Um, ever, I mean, since then, I've also written two other books in, about history of science and technology, but by far the podcast has been more successful. And actually, the, the Hebrew podcast is the most successful podcast in Israel, I'm happy to say, with some uh, 50,000 to 100,000 downloads per week. So it's, it's going really well. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. So... You know, you you're, you talk about teaching and writing and, you know, writing about these subjects can, that can be very complex and, and broad and, and, and daunting to a lot of people. And and for journalists, I mean, that's a lot of what we do as well is we we go out there and we, we try to find, you know, try to figure something out and then try to relate it, something complicated to the people that we that we're reporting for. So what do you see that are the challenges that you face or what is it that, what do you think about that process uh, of taking a very complex idea and uh, making it something that's understandable for, you know, the average person? Well, I, I would probably say that there are two main challenges when you're trying to, to communicate difficult ideas to, to the general, general public. The first one is, is not technical. It's purely conceptual. It's the idea in the general public and with many journalists and, and producers in mainstream media that science and technology is basically boring. That's something that we, many of us have, have been learning unconsciously or subconsciously since we were kids, that math is boring and hard, that physics is, is boring and hard and difficult, and that you really have to be the kind of nerdy guy who's, who's a geek from childhood to really enjoy those topics. The first major challenge for me is always to try to convince the audience to actually press the play button or subscribe and listen. I mean, some of my tactics in this regard is, for example, I don't, I never say in advance what the topic of the next episode is going to be. Because I know that if I'm going to say to the audience, you know, the next episode will be about, for example, subject in mathematics, there will be many people who would be, they would probably say to themselves, oh, math must be so boring. Let's just skip the, the next episode. I try to surprise them that by the time they, they understand the episode is about uh, mathematics, it's already too late. They downloaded it. <laughs> they have no chance. Now they have to hear me. And then they understand that, I mean, yes, math can be interesting. Physics can be amazing. Just be open to new ideas. That's the non-technical uh, challenge, say. 
the other part is the technical challenge really of teaching someone a complicated set of ideas. Most of my challenge is trying to communicate the basic ideas that you can't assume with a general audience. You can't assume that someone has prior ideas or knowledge about a certain topic in, in physics or economics. You have to really try to grasp, to have a good grasp of the basics with the audience before you can move on to the more complicated ideas. So you have to decide consciously what are you going to talk about in a certain topic and what, you, what you're going to ignore because you can't say everything within, within an episode of, you know, 45 minutes or so. You have to let some important stuff go, disregard it, ignore it, don't explain it, just to keep things simple and focused. And I usually, when I do an episode, you know, if I do an episode, about an episode about, say, chemistry, a subject in chemistry, 99% of the audience will write back saying, oh, this was a great episode. Thank you. I mean, those who write, of course. Not everybody give you feedback, of course, but those who do. And 1% who are chemists in their profession will write to say, you know, you really didn't talk about such and such. You forgot to mention so-and-so important personality or fact. I would usually say to them, yes, I know. I know I ignored this because you can't really have it all. If you want to, somebody, if you want to explain to somebody, somebody a major big idea, you have to let go of the really small details and focus on the big ideas. And that's a challenge, finding the, the right ideas. What to ignore? What to write about? That's something that I had to learn as a writer myself. So where do you come up with your ideas for your podcast? Uh, I think that's the great part of being a podcaster, you know? And I guess, like yourself, you can interview whoever you feel like, right? If the story you find fascinating in some way, you can just have them as a guest. For me, I just tackle topics that I'm fond of in a personal level. If it's something that's interesting to me, I mean, my rule of thumb, really, it's, I mean, it's not a joke. When I see something that makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand up, that's usually a good sign. There's a kind of adrenaline associated with me, I mean, on a personal level, getting good story, detecting a good, good, interesting story, whether it is a dramatic story of some scientist who had a great discovery or... You know, sometimes it could be an interesting experiment with uh, an unforeseen result, whatever. You can feel it. You can, if it's a good story, you can really feel it with, with, your, with your skin on a practical level. So if I, if I hear about a good story, if I come across a good story in the books I read, or, you know, is it, if it's something on television that I saw, I usually take it. And I'm not afraid to tackle everything that I think is interesting. I don't care, really, I don't care what the audience wants to hear. For example, I've been getting hundreds of listener mails saying, why don't you do an episode about black holes, you know, in astronomy? And I say to them, you know what? I've been hearing about black holes on mainstream television, you know, History Channel, National Geographic, whatever for years. Uh, it's a subject that it might sound interesting on the surface, but it's been 
talked about and discussed so thoroughly on so many TV series, television shows, sorry, that I have no fondness of them. So I don't tackle it. Even though many people say, oh, it must be an interesting idea. I know. I don't think that's, that's interesting for me personally. So I don't. That's the fun of being a podcaster, right? Yeah. The first person you entertain is yourself, I guess, exactly. is what you're saying. <laughs> and you sort of talked about a really great truth, I think, about, you know, just reporting and writing and anything when you, when you cover something is you want to be a good storyteller because even if a story is complex, uh, you know, people will listen to a good story. They like that structure. I know that, you know, I'm not as big a science nerd as you are, but I, I do like history stories. And I find myself, the ones that I'm attracted to are the ones that I'll see a movie or I'll see a TV show. And it's something unusual had happened. And then I'm like, wow, I want to find out about that person or that event and to see if that really happened that way. And the more I find out about the event and the weirdness or the strangeness, the unusualness of the, the moment, the more involved I get in it and the more different things I learn about it and I'm able to relate it to other things. But yeah, it's about getting excited about things. Actually, that's a technique which I use a lot in the sense that if there is, a, let's say, a big discovery in science, you can talk about the discovery and why it is important. That's not industry. That's not interesting at all. The way I approach the, the topics usually is that I give the background. I'm trying to convey the, to the listener why the need for the discovery or the new theory or whatever, why did it arise in the first place? And it usually it comes from uh, problems and difficulties that engineers or scientists have faced. And when you talk about difficulties and challenges and, you know, disputes, whatever, there is drama involved, first and foremost, because that discovery didn't come out of thin air. Somebody searched for an answer for something. Someone did the experiment. The interesting question is why, did, why was the experiment done in the first place? If you can understand that idea, then the story becomes interesting because Whatever the scientist did, for example, he had a purpose. He had a journey. He had a, had a good, source, uh, good story. Yeah, you say journey. I mean, that's, that's you know, something I tell people all the time when I talk about podcasts and storytelling is people are really big fans of processes. That's why, you know, there are all these TV shows about, you know, repairing homes and, and fixing things up and, and like building cars and stuff. People like to see something at the beginning and watch the process of change. And so if you can hook them at the beginning with whatever your project is, whatever your idea is, and then move them forward. And the other thing that I wanted to mention is you were talking about, like, stories. I mean, Isaac Newton. I mean, most people, when they think Isaac Newton, they think of the apple on the head. Who knows if that's true? I mean, it, whether it's true or not, it's not important. But, you know, it illustrates the idea of what gravity is. And for people, they can sort of see, oh, you know, the apple fell. Why did the apple fall? That's what gravity is. And that's how the big idea comes out of a little object or a little story that, that may or may not be true. Exactly. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. So let's talk about some of the logistics about about the podcasting and podcasting. So you start. You said you started podcasting in 2006. Pretty much. Uh, actually, I started listening in 2006 and initiated my first podcast in 2007. 2007. So that, so what was it? What was your approach then at that point? How did you go about? recording and launching a podcast. Had you had any experience before doing any audio production? 
none whatsoever. <laughs> when I started, I it was the, actually the first time I probably talked to a microphone, a real radio microphone, that is. I had no background in radio work at all. I mean, not pre- ne- I've never been to a radio uh, studio, right? I'm, I'm an engineer. So my day job was making electronics. Although, thinking back to, to my own past, I now realized that I did have some starting point Actually, from when I was I was in the army, the Israeli army. I mean, uh, everybody in Israel has to do a service, uh, army service, or military service of three years. My service was six years since I was a ship's captain in the navy. In the navy, uh, I had a small uh, PT boat uh, off the shore of Israel. So, an interesting fact that I think not many people are aware of is that as a ship's captain. You're never doing anything by yourself. You're not firing any weapon. You're not pressing any buttons. Your sole responsibility is making sure everybody else does their work correctly. So what I did basically most of the time was standing with the ship's microphone. You know, there's a microphone that you talk to and, it, uh, and you have um, speakers all, all over the ship. I, I don't know the maybe the professional term in English. Sure. For it, but... When you talk to this microphone, all the soldiers on the ship, all the sailors can understand what you're saying through the speakers. So most of the time, while you know, doing um, military operations, your sole connection to those soldiers who are in the more remote parts of the ship, it's let's say mechanics or gunners in remote uh, positions on the ship, is via your voice just your voice talking out of the speakers they don't see you visually they don't they don't see you talking they just hear you and i came to realize quite early that the way that you talk to the microphone has a great influence a great impact on the morale of the team of how they work i mean try to think about it let's say i mean it's a stormy night and you've just been aroused from bed and you have to be in position as a gunner or something and you're tired and it's cold, it's raining outside, it's raining on you, sorry. I mean, it's not a very fun situation to be in. Nobody, your morale is basically low. And if your ship's captain speaks to you on the speakers and he has maybe, and you can hear him being also kind of weary and tired then your morale is going to be, I mean, going to be low. There's nothing you can help about it. But if he hears you talking, you know, okay, team, we are going to nail this, whatever, you know, just being macho, being a stereotypical ship's captain, although you might be yourself very tired and weary and you really don't want to be there in the middle of the night, the the morale is going to be higher. People are going to be more alert and do their job properly. So for me, talking to the microphone all during those years as being a ship's captain was learning how to act in front of a microphone, talking, varying your voice, trying to sound very um, confident in what you're going to try to say. And, you know, being an actor, kind of being an actor, although you might be very insecure inside, you're not really sure what should be done. You can't let it show. You can't let it be heard in your voice. So that was my sole experience of working in front of a microphone. 
And I really think it helped me <laughs> yeah. many years later. <laughs> I would never have guessed that, but I think it helped me. But other than that, really, I just learned while doing how microphones work, how to do audio uh, editing, how to set up websites. I really did all of those things by myself. Yeah, I like what you said about, you know, the idea that you're, you're so, something you don't always think about when you're podcasting is that, that you do assume a role when you when you turn on the microphone you know on the one hand yeah you're yourself and you express yourself in the words in the way you do but it's a different sort of state that you get yourself into and, and part of it is bringing your energy up part of it is is speaking with authority you know if you're interviewing somebody you're the one who's driving the ship you've got to sort of keep track of what the conversation is and, and go back and forth and think of the next question and sort of juggle all these things so I think probably your your experience of being a, a ship captain is is probably actually really good experience for uh, a podcaster that just may not seem that way at the time. Inadvertently, probably, yeah. Nobody in the in the navy thought about podcasting. I could tell you that. Yes, I do think that being a podcast. I mean, podcasting is a very intimate media. It is a very intimate media. I know on a personal level, I listen to many podcasts. And I do get the emotional connection to the hosts, hosts of podcasts that I listen to on a very, very deep level. I mean, I build a sort of a mental image of the person on the other side talking to me. He's talking into my ear for like half an hour, an hour every week. I mean, there is a kind of trust, a one-way trust maybe. I mean, it is a one-way relationship, but it is still a relationship. And if you want to, if I really believe that if you want to succeed as a podcaster, you've got to assume a certain role, which is not very far from your, from your I mean, you don't have to fake it. You, you can really be that guy that is talking to the microphone, but you also have to think about your personality and how it is perceived on the other side. You can't say just whatever you feel like. You have to think about what people are going to think on the other side because the listeners are very emotionally connected to you as a host. And if you disappoint them, that disappointment is going to be very deep as well. It might be regarded even as sort of betrayal in, in some ethic way. For example, I mean, in my Hebrew show, in my Israeli show, I introduced advertising after, I think it was five, year, five years the first advertisement I had in the show. For some people, for some listeners, it was very difficult for them to hear me narrate a copy of an, of an ad because their perceived image of me was of someone who, uh, you know, he's, he's very passionate about science, about technology, loves what he does. Why does he involve money in the show? I mean... Money kind of tarnished the maybe the pure halo uh, built around my, let's say, imaginary personality because it gave me a sort of um, imperfection of sort that, wow, that guy needs money. He doesn't do that only because he loves technology and science. He also needs money. I mean, <laughs> I've got a family to feed, right? For some people, it was very difficult. It felt for them as a bit of betrayal. I don't think I really lost any listeners. 
but I got mails and feedbacks that really gave me an idea that it was not an easy transition for them. You can't, it's very easy to let down your listeners because of that intimate relationship that you have with them as a podcaster. Yeah. But of course, the other, the other side of it is this is costing you time and money. Well, it costing you time at the very least It's costing you money. If you're paying for, you know, upload uh, fees and other types of things that aren't necessarily apparent to the listener. So, but that doesn't mean you don't have a passion about what you do that, that, that you don't, you're, you're not doing it because you, you know, loved it. I think there are plenty of people who, who do podcasts who, you know, have advertising that are very passionate about what they do. But then on the other hand, you know, maybe what they're thinking of is they're so used to mainstream media where, where, where they're constantly hawking you stuff. And there are people who are doing commercials and promotions that have no investment at all in whatever those items are that they're trying to sell you. They're just trying to sell you something. And, and at that point, you don't really have a relationship. But it's a, I could see where you could, you know, they would feel a sense of betrayal because, you know, Ron's my friend. You know, he's, he talks to me about science and history, and now he's trying to tell me to, to sell something. I, 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 could, I guess I could see that. I think that many, many listeners project on the host of a podcast their own ideals, their own beliefs, and that's a big part of the intimate bond. And it's usually it's a good thing. I mean, I want to represent the love of science, the love of knowledge, the curiosity. It's something that I'm really passionate about. But if also if your personal or belief or ideal is that money is a bad thing and, and ads are evil, then if I do ads, some of the people are going to feel betrayed. And for example, you know, I interviewed, it's interesting, I interviewed Todd Cochrane, who is the CEO of Blueberry, a big hosting company in the podcasting world, yeah, and I also think. a podcaster since 2004. And he told me, for example, that he started podcasting. He had a great success when he began. He had about 100,000 downloads per episode in 2004, 2005, which is a lot of downloads for that early time in podcasting. And then he wrote a book about podcasting, much like yourself plan to do. Although that was probably the first book about podcasting, I think, in 2005. Mm -hmm. When he published this book, he told me he lost half his audience because they were mad at him for monetizing his podcast by writing a book. Hmm. I mean, think about it. It's been, it was early days. People were really... Thinking about podcasting as a, as a very different media than mainstream television and radio who are full of ads everywhere, advertisements everywhere. And the, the audience was very disappointed of Todd. He told me, I mean, he lost half his audience. It was traumatic for him, but he, he continued making, reading ads since he had to feed his family as well. But it's not, I mean, in, in podcasting, it's very easy to make those sorts of mistakes, and that's something that I try to to think about constantly. Yeah. What I'm say, what I'm saying, might ruin my podcast even without thinking about it. I can't be, you know, open totally on the air. I have to think about what I'm saying. Yeah, I hear you. I, I actually I interviewed uh, Todd for for a book, and he did mention that he'd written a book, but he hadn't. 
Maybe he was just being kind to me, telling me that, not telling me that he, that, that I might lose half my audience. But I, I can tell you, if I lost fifty thousand, <laughs> if, if I lost half my audience of fifty thousand people, I'd be happy because that means I'd still have fifty thousand people. I do not have fifty thousand people <laughs> per podcast uh, episode. I can those tell were you that. the really those, early days. Those were the early days. All well, the listeners and the internet. <laughs> that was back. That was back in the hippy dippy days of, of of podcasting when you know there were very few people who were listening and they were downloading. Everything because it was so precious and, and but now we I'm actually, we, I'm actually doing now a series for curious minds a, a series of episodes which I'm calling Heroes of Podcasting, <laughs> which I'm gonna which I interviewed eight podcasters from all of them from or most of them from the very early days of of podcasting about their experiences in those early days. Uh, Leo Laporte from This Week in Tech also started podcasting very very early. I mean, the, the podcasting atmosphere or the environment was very different back then, both in the technological terms. I mean, hosting a website wasn't so easy as it is now, for example, recording, audio editing, for example, and also on those topics such as what was the audience like? What was the atmosphere like? That's a series that will air on Curious Minds probably next week. Cool. Cool. I'll, I'll have to check that out. I'll steal some stuff from my book. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Only kidding. Only kidding. Um, so <laughs> as we sort of wrap up here, I, I wanted to sort of, I wanted to get your, just what for you has been the overall experience of being a podcaster? What what has it sort of meant to you uh, since you started doing it in 2007? Uh, it's been an amazing ride. It's a really a roller coaster. It's amazing. I mean, I started out, as I mentioned, as an author writing books, paper books. And it's very frustrating if you're not a successful writer, which I wasn't, <laughs> sorry to say, you don't get much feedback. You write a book, you invest, you know, your blood, your tears, your sweat, whatever. My book took me th six years to write. Nights, you know, working all after my day job, etc. And you've got no feedback, only one letter, two letters from, from readers. But being a podcaster in the internet means that you, you are constantly getting feedback. It's both positive feedback and negative feedback, but you're always getting feedback. If you did something good, you get immediate feedback. People mail you or write on social media, whatever. They just, there's an immediate feedback. You did good. It's interesting. I loved it. It's an amazing show, whatever. And if you did bad, then <laughs> the feedback is instantaneously on the other way, right? But there's always, always the feeling of, of there's someone in the, on the other side. And as a content creator, as someone who likes to teach, to communicate ideas, that feedback is worth its weight in gold. Because it's a horrible feeling to be passionate about something and talk to avoid, write a book, have it on a shelf, and that's it, nothing happens. It's a very disheartening kind of feeling. And as a podcaster, I can happily say that a rather successful podcaster in Israel, I have constant feedback. People are always writing back, always letting me know that they're enjoying the show or you can have that idea better. There's always communication. So that, that's the greatest thing about podcasting for me by, by stretch, by far. It's something that I've never, ever encountered in any other media. 
I've been to television, I've been to radio, I'm an author, whatever. Podcasting is the thing. It's, it's amazing for content creators. Yeah. And, and I think it probably also goes a lot back to what you were saying before about the intimacy of it, that you sort of establish this personal relationship with, uh, with the listener, just that you being that voice in that earphone as they're driving their car, or they're walking or running their companion. I think it does a lot for just from a, a straight psychological standpoint. This has been really fascinating, Ron. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me about it. Where can people find uh, your, your podcasts online? Okay, so Curious Minds Podcast on the website. On the web, the website is cmpod.net. I'm also, of course, on iTunes. There's Facebook and Twitter. Just search for, search for Curious Minds Podcast. Okay, cool. All right, well, thanks a lot. You take care of yourself. Thank you very much, Michael. It's been a pleasure. Next time on It's All Journalism. The most exciting part, I think, is the the small startups. Like two guys get together and they get an idea to do kolache because they're from Texas and they mm -hmm. love kolache. And they start out just doing it here and there. And the next thing you know, they're opening a brick and mortar and there are lines out the door for days and they're written up by everybody is having the best. It's just so nice to see people start out with a good idea and become huge. Joining me next week when I talk to Rachel Nania and Jason Fraley of the Capital Culture Podcast. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about digital media. Find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Podcast One. This week's episode was edited by Nicola Grisco. Amber Healy provided our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Hey, you've written a book. You can order copies of Turn Up the Volume, a down and dirty guide to podcasting on our website. Visit itsalljournalism.com and follow the link at the top of the page. Isn't it time you started your podcast? Do you like the work that we're doing here at It's All Journalism? Now you can show your support on our Patreon page. Follow the link at the top of our website and donate. For as little as a dollar a month, you can access exclusive content and receive updates about upcoming episodes. Donate a little bit more, and we'll send you cool swag like our It's All Journalism mug or a signed copy of my podcasting book. There are even opportunities for you to submit ideas for future shows or even appear on an episode. Go to itsalljournalism.com and click on the Patreon link to find out more. It's All Journalism is produced in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media. Thanks for listening.